So this morning we are so thrilled to have two wonderful friends of uh, myself and Letty and um, have been our friends for many, many years and um, have been friends of Riverside too. They've been to Riverside on more than one occasion and um, uh, have blessed us every time they've come. And this morning, first service was a wonderful service and I know that you're going to be blessed this morning by the ministry of Paul Alexander who's here with his wife Carol and I want you to give them a huge Riverside welcome. He'll tell you uh, what they're about. Let me just say this. Hold it a minute. I'm gonna, you can do it when they get up to come. Really, you've got to do better than what you just did as well, all right? Hey, but they are making a difference in the kingdom of God and also making a dent against the kingdom of darkness. And um, they are amazing people that are causing things to happen, not only here in North America, but also really around the world by the ministry that they're involved in. And um, uh, you'll hear about it a little in a moment. But the fact is that they are seeing missionaries go out. They're seeing nations blessed and um, wonderful things happening as they're raising up young people to serve Jesus in our generation How many know we need more young people serving Jesus in our generation? Amen. So I want you now to give Paul and Carol Alexander a huge Riverside welcome as Paul comes to minister. Well, a real good morning, everybody. It's a delight to be in Riverside. Uh, You might not know this, but you have got outstanding leaders. We love your pastor and his wife, and it's always a huge privilege to be able to come back and share. It's just been a great weekend, and thank you for the welcome that you've extended. Uh, I am right now the president of Trinity Bible College, which is in Ellendale, North Dakota. How many of you have ever been to North Dakota? Well, there you go. Remarkable. A few of you have actually got there. You never drive through North Dakota. You have to drive to North Dakota. And people often say, where are you from? I say, North Dakota. Oh, and they say, North Dakota. I say, yeah, because every time I say North Dakota, people say, oh. So that's where we're at, all the way up near the Canadian border. And we've got a few pictures that we want to show you. Trinity Bible College and Graduate School. This is a building we put up just very recently. It's a great center. We've refurbished this iconic building. Students come to us from about 40 different states around the union, and we're delighted to be a part of their lives. We are committed, friends, that this day we will still be able to raise and send missionary people into all the world. I don't know if you know this, but there has never, there has never been a missionary movement such as the movement of missionaries that left our shores in the 20th century. Did you know that? Did you know that nothing compares with the mobilization of missionaries out of the United States in the 20th century? Not even the apostolic age was as significant as that. We scattered all around the world. But since about the late 1970s, there's been a decline in the number of missionaries that our nation sends. Every year, we're sending just a few less. Every year, we're giving just a little bit less. That's been a trend since the 1970s. 
And I don't know about you, but that troubles me deeply. And every time I get up in the morning, I want to be part of something that says we're not going to let this continue. We are going to be part of a generation that determines to send more and give more than ever has been happening in the years before today. And so that's what we're doing up at Trinity Bible College and Graduate School. We have everything from the AA degree all the way through to the PhD, fully accredited programs. And we're thankful that God's called us to this nation. We came back to the U.S. seven years ago, and part of our call was to see a missionary revival in this nation, and we're very committed to that, and we know that you'll pray with us and check us out, trinitybiblecollege.edu. It's a real joy. We've had a great weekend, spent yesterday morning with many of you, and then again this morning. So thanks for the invite, Pastor John and Letty, and thanks for giving us the privilege of speaking here today at Riverside. I know you're a hugely responsive group of people, so a little uh, itsy bitsy amen and hallelujah every now and again will go, go down really well. But great to be able to be with you. Carol's with me. We've just returned this week from uh, a, a very dynamic program that we were facilitating in India. We crisscrossed the southern part of India, got in on Thursday night. And uh, then we leave this afternoon, and I go to speak at the District Council for North Dakota in Fargo. And I'm glad to tell you that most of the snow is gone. Hallelujah. You think you have bad winters? Come visit us. We've invited your pastor to come visit us in February, and he declined. I thought he was a good friend, you know. And uh, we said, he said, sometime in the middle of summer he'll come. But uh, you've all heard about fair weather friends. I don't know about you, but every now and again, I get part to, to parts of the Bible. I love the Bible. I'm passionate about the Bible. I hope you've got a Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, get a Bible. And if you don't read the Bible, read the Bible. Make sure you love the Bible. It's the way God speaks to us primarily. And I read through the Bible along with Carol, and we get to some parts of the Bible without being in any way sacrilegious that I just kind of think, I wish I could rush through this. I wish I could just gloss over it because they are those long lists. Do you know what I'm talking about? Those parts of the Bible, long, long lists, lists of names, people who did this and people who did that and this person had that person, that person. And I look at those and I wonder why they're there. And of course, Bible scholars will tell us that they're good reasons for every chapter of the Bible to be there. And I absolutely believe that. In the New Testament, there are also lists There are chapters that are just lists of names and things that are important, but they seem boring in the moment. And I remember coming across one of these list chapters. It's actually found in the book of Romans chapter 16. And I got to it and I started to rush through it thinking, oh, well, that's not really all that important. And then something struck me and I turned back to this chapter And I want to try and explain some of it to you today that I hope will be for your learning and for your growth and help you to serve Jesus a whole lot better. So in order to make sure that we really get into it, let me read some of this chapter to you. It's a list with lots and lots of names. You will get to that as I start reading. Romans means that that is a letter that was written to the church that was in Rome at the time, and it's written by somebody who we know well in the New Testament, Paul the Apostle, and this is how he writes in Romans chapter 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Sancria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints 
to give her any help she may need from you, for she's been a great help to many people, including me. And then look how this list starts to develop. Verse 3, greet Priscilla and Aquila, who had met them back in the book of Acts, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets in their house. Greet my dear friend Epenetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Adronicus and Junius, my relatives, who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Verse 8, greet Ampliatus, whom I love in the Lord. And then verse 9, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachus. Verse 10, greet Apelles. Verse, uh, the latter part of verse 10, also those of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my relative. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. And then look at verse 12, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet my friend Persia. And then verse 13, greet Rufus, and I love 14, greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brothers with them. And then look at verse, the next verse, greet Philologus, Julia, Narcus, and, my, and my, his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints with them. Are you impressed already? I mean, lots and lots of names. You get the message, right? It's just a long list of names, and it goes all the way through with several more that we don't have time to keep reading. And then that's not the end of the chapter. Then the chapter drops down right towards the end, and I want to point another thing out to you in this chapter, and then uh, if it's okay, we'll get to explain it a little one with the other. It says here in verse 25, this is what we call in the grammar of the Bible, we sometimes call it a doxology, it's a statement of praise. It says this in verse 25, now to him who is is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, listen to this, so that all nations might believe and obey him, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ, amen. So there's... Romans chapter 16. I don't know if you know this, but the book of Romans is a really, really important document. Uh, What we might say, it's a foundational document. In other words, when it was written, it was written to try to help people very seriously understand who God was and how God works and the way of God and how he uh, works out his plans in human life. It's what we would call a doctrinal foundational document, statement. That's why it's in the Bible, because it's a really important part of the Bible that establishes how we believe and what we believe. In fact, throughout all history, over 2,000 years now, almost every major piece of work that has written Christian doctrine, Christian belief systems, the way in which we work out what we really believe in our hearts, virtually every single one would in some way or another dig back, root itself into the book of Romans. So get it, it's a really important document. And its atmosphere is the same. It's kind of written very seriously. 
You can see here a man who was determined to try to get it right, to layer it down so that Christians would live well. And I respect the Apostle Paul. Thank you, God, for a good man who was inspired by the Spirit and wrote things so that we can live well and believe well and understand well. But the atmosphere of it is serious. And you understand why, right? It's really serious to get things right. You start believing wrong. It's not long before you start acting wrong and serving wrong. We need to spend time layering what we believe into our lives. It's called doctrine, faith. It's called the statements of what we believe. And so I read the book of Romans very seriously because it's a serious book. And I was doing that one day and I was going through it meticulously. And then I turned the page and I came to Romans 16 and it felt different. It all suddenly felt like it just changed. Instead of it now being a serious doctrinal treatise, I turn the page and I discover that it's full of feeling and emotion and people and relationships. You can feel the difference in the atmosphere. It's all kind of different to the earlier chapters. Paul starts writing affectionately and emotionally. He almost gushes here when he gets into these special friends and relations that had filled his life for a very long time. And I remember but just about starting to rush through it and think, let's get to the end, and I stopped. I thought, wow, this needs some special attention. I need to go back and see what's going on here. It's obviously a really important part of this very important book of the Bible, and so I did. I started to read the names. I started to look deeply into them, who they were, what was going on, and I want to share a few of those things with you today so that you'll understand why this chapter is a really, really important part of the book of Romans. So a few things that I hope will help you today. First of all, I noticed that when these names were written down, there's a great diversity in the names. They're all very, very different. They're diverse names. In fact, as you go into the list, you'll discover that there are 29 names that are listed there, 29 people that are written about affectionately and lovingly by the great apostle Paul. And some of the things that you discover about that are really significant. For example, did you know that as you go into this list of names, 29 of them, 10, a full 10 of them are women. You say, big deal. Absolutely. It's a real big deal, friends. Remember, this was a time when women really had almost no standing within society. They were people who were at the bottom of the ladder. They really didn't have any kind of way in which they could impact the society in which they lived. They couldn't vote. They couldn't serve as senators. In fact, they couldn't even own property. They were property. They were owned by husbands and fathers. This was not a good time for women to be alive on the planet. Women were not treated well back then. And here we discover in one of the formative documents of the church of Jesus that Paul writes about women affectionately and lovingly and full of appreciation and recognition and thanksgiving. That's a huge big deal to me that it was settled and finalized all the way back in the primitive stages of the church that women played a key and important role. It's also important, friends, because Paul, of course, had been a Pharisee. He belonged to a Jewish sect called the Pharisees. You might not know this, but do you know that Pharisees, when they woke up in the morning, they would sort of smooth down their clothes, they would stand maybe at the end of their bed, they'd look up towards heaven, and this was the first prayer that Pharisees would pray. They would say, thank you, God in heaven, that I was not born a Gentile, nor a slave, nor a woman. 
That's what they used to pray. I mean, talk about sexist, right? That's deeply entrenched sexism. And this man comes out of that life. He comes to Jesus. He writes these important doctrines. And right in the middle of it all, he honors the role that godly women had played in his life and had played in the life of the church. I'm proud about that. I'm thankful for that. Thank God that right from the beginning, God recognized the role of women in playing significant apostolic ministry participation in the life of the church. That's pretty exciting to me. And I don't know why people are all hung up about it because even the apostle Paul wasn't hung up about it 2,000 years ago. And if you're hung up now, get over it. Because it's good hermeneutics. It's good to read the Bible and understand all those years ago. So a full third of them were women and Paul writes with deep affection about these godly people who had played such a significant role in the life of the church. And my declaration is, may God continue to use our sisters profoundly well because they are valued and they're appreciated and we thank God for their ministry in the life of the local church. It's a great thing to honor and recognize that part of diversity. And then as you go down as well, you'll discover that even the way in which those names are written, they come from all over the Roman Empire. I mean, there were people crossing the Mediterranean 2,000 years ago. The whole deal of coming in as immigrants was not a new idea. In fact, if you don't realize this, from the time that Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden, humanity has moved around the planet. It's always been moving around the planet, and I understand the problems that that creates, but I'm glad, friends, that 2,000 years ago, there was a center of life and hope and acceptance and forgiveness, and people who are displaced and lonely and sometimes been trapped and misused, they found themselves in the body of Christ and welcomed into the church and cared for. And now Paul writes about people from North Africa and the province of Asia. There were probably people in this church from all the way across in what is now Beijing, across the steppes of Russia, all the way through places like Bangkok and Bakar and great cities of the Eastern world. Guess what, friends? They found themselves to Rome. And aren't you glad that there was a place that proclaimed Jesus and welcomed them? That's something to be immensely proud of. That there's always been a welcome in the body of Christ. That people have always been welcomed to fellowship and sit shoulder to shoulder. That to me is so important as I celebrate the body of Christ. So there was a great diversity in race and gender. And of course there's also a huge diversity as you read through, even in socioeconomic standards. If you understand the time, you will realize that there were some people who served in the household of Caesar. These were privileged individuals. It tells about it in the New Testament. And then there were others who unfortunately, because of the trials and the desperate conditions of the empire, were no more than slaves. Rich and poor. And yet you find them all in the body of Christ in the great church of Rome. It's pretty exciting stuff, you know. And so let me make this declaration. I love the church of the Lord Jesus. And I know we've made our mistakes and there's some parts of our history that are horribly sordid, 
But as I read the New Testament, I see a vision. I see a fulfillment. I see the plan of God that still gathers people from across cities and from around nations. And they worship the living God together. And they declare themselves one in Christ. I am proud to be a Christ follower. And I'm proud of what God has made available to people through the good, redemptive news of the gospel. Great diversity. And you know what? We continue that tradition today. What we're doing today is one of the most unusual, most dynamic, most spectacular gathering of human beings anywhere on the planet. We come together in the name of Jesus. We break bread and we pray for the sick and we shake each other's hands and we celebrate together. Men and women, people of diverse backgrounds, but this thing we know, Jesus is Lord and his people are still serving him all this way down in history. And it all started in this primitive expression back in the book of Romans. Now that's worth an itsy-bitsy little amen, right? Amen. The other thing that stands out to me as I read this list of names is that there are cherished relationships, not only diversity in the names, but there are cherished relationships. Remember, here's the apostle Paul. He's given his life. He's been unbelievably sacrificial. He's been shipwrecked. He's been beaten. He's been stoned. He's given everything he knows for the gospel. And now he's writing things that are really important to understand. And suddenly you find the heart of this man full of emotion. And he writes here, there's a whole list. He writes about my sister, obviously not his sister by a birth mother, but a sister by faith. Somebody who had become so precious in the way in which they served together that he was able to refer to her as his sister in the Lord. And we still do the same thing. We come together as sisters and brothers in Christ. Paul wrote about it back there. He wrote about my kinsmen, people who'd actually spent time with him in persecution and in jail. He felt very, very connected to them, very emotionally connected. Thank God for them. And he writes about them as a kinsman. He writes here about his mother and his brother and about those who were his relatives and those that had suffered with him. You find it all the way through this chapter that whatever the apostle Paul looked at, he found in the church people who were kind and good and who were really connected to him in cherished relationships. So what I have to say about that? I have to say, first of all, friends, that if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've probably suffered offense at the hands of other Christians. And it might help you to know that that's okay because that's part of the human condition. But there are two things that you really need to process. Number one is that there are a whole bunch more precious, lovely, wonderful Christian people than what there are people who might have hurt you. And you need to celebrate your brothers and sisters and your kinsmen and your friends and thank God for them. And here's the second one. If you have been the one causing offense, no matter how right your cause you thought was, I want to say stop it. Just stop it. That's what I mean. I mean stop it. Because you see, when you hurt people who are in the family of God, it's like a double whammy. We expect it from people without faith. But if you love Jesus, if you've given your life to Christ, stop getting onto your hobby horse. Stop trying to be a watchdog of the church. 
Stop trying to look over people's shoulders as to how to do it and love and care and accept and give and share. And if it's a long time since you affirmed somebody, you need to start doing it now. You can be thankful I'm not your pastor. I'm getting on a plane this afternoon. I've just got to get it all out while I can, friends. But I passionately believe this stuff. I think people who hurt other Christians are just being stupid. They're hurting themselves more and they're causing offense. Why do we do this stuff? We've been brought into the body of Christ, bonded together. We share the same communion. Why shouldn't we respect and honor and be kind? Why shouldn't we open our hearts and our lives and our homes and be the sort of people who represent Jesus on the planet? And I find that after writing all these full doctrinal thoughts that you find in the book of Romans, it still comes down to this, we're brothers, we're sisters, we're friends, we're kinsmen. And we serve together and we honor each other. And I agree with your pastor, there was an unusual anointing in this place early today. And I wonder if we need to tap into that and not only find ourselves healed physically, but get through some of the issues that bind us on the inside because there are layers of offense or hurt or we're still holding grudges against people. Stop it, friends. With all of my heart, I ask, move into a place where we celebrate Jesus and his church. Do you notice right here, he speaks about his first convert in Asia, just like that's the ultimate deal. Well, every missionary has got a first convert. Every missionary remembers the first breakthrough that they had. It's like the high point of their lives. They've given their lives. They've served. They've crossed boundaries and barriers and languages. And now somebody comes to Jesus. I've read almost every missionary biography there is. And that first convert is such a special moment. I've kind of got a first convert in my life. I remember once I was preaching in our home church just to the west of Johannesburg in South Africa. The place was packed, and we used to do Sunday night services where we proclaimed the good news of Jesus, really full on, you know. And I remember I was preaching my heart out, Jesus loves you, he gave his life for you. The message of the cross has got more than enough for your whole life to be transformed. All the stuff that I believed back then and I believe passionately now, I'm preaching my heart out all of a sudden down this side of the congregation this fellow jumps out of his seat at the top of his voice, pointing at me, says, excuse me. I said, what have I done? You know, I jumped about so high. I got such a fright. I said, what is it, sir? He looks back at me and he says, with his finger pointed, he says, are you telling me that this is all I need to do to be a Christian? Well, what a silly question to ask a preacher. I wouldn't be preaching it if I didn't believe it. So I stared right back and I said, I'm exactly telling you that. And I thought, you've interrupted my life. I'm going to interrupt yours. And I said to him, it sounds to me like you're ready to become a Christian. All of a sudden, the corner of his mouth started to quiver. Tears sparked in his eye. And he looked back at me, put his hand on his heart. He said, I think I am. I said, well, I, I remember saying... I said, uh, you know, I thought, well, we're going to go the whole way here. He's, 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 he started this thing. I'm going to go the whole way. I said, are you ready to turn from your ugly life of hurting people and hurting yourself, turn away from choices that have been hurtful and harmful and dysfunctional and give your whole life to the leadership of Jesus? It's what we call repentance. He said, I am. I'm ready to do it. I said, are you ready to pray publicly with all these friends listening? He said, I really am. And so right there in front of that whole crowd, 
we pray together that Jesus would come into his life. I closed my eyes. I asked God to do a work in his life. I opened my eyes. I saw right in front of my eyes an individual go from darkness to light in that second. And I knew this great good news was everything that I believed it to be. People are transformed by the love of Jesus. And it's no wonder Paul wrote. And he says, do you remember Epenetus? He was our first convert in Asia out of rank darkness and now into light. Oh, we celebrate people that come to Jesus. That man and his family continue to serve Jesus. His son-in-law is one of the highest profile godly politicians in South Africa today. We're praying that he'll be the next president. And who knows that that whole redemptive journey started with that interruption with one of my first converts as I was preaching. Full of rich, good relationships. Build friendships, friends. Make time for each other. Celebrate the unity of the church and thank God for special and cherished relationships. So have you got the message? There are all these diverse names, all these different people. And then there are these cherished relationships all listed there at the end of Romans. And that's not really the end of the story. Because the bottom line of everything is what we read at the end, that, that doxology, now unto him who is able, and then it goes on to speak about the mystery that's now being made known through Jesus Christ. Why? That all nations everywhere will hear this good news and the name of Jesus proclaimed. That's why we do it. That's why we come together. That's why we have songs and worship and prayer and communion and preaching. That's why, friends, we do fellowship things. That's why we serve our city. That's why we get out and get up and do what we do. I'll tell you what it is. It's that lost people matter to God, so they ought to matter to us. It's that the gospel might be made known in all the world, everywhere that people would come to know Jesus. Our very gathering today would be a nonsense, friend, if there wasn't ultimately some sense in which we all join this cause, that we want people to come to Christ. We want boys and girls to find wholeness. We want trafficked women to be broken out of their slavery. We want drug addicts to be healed and made whole. We want families to become functional again. We want people to be made whole. We want the sick to be healed, and we want people to surrender their lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what we stand for. That's what we believe in. That's why we come together as the church. For all the wonderful things we celebrate, let's remind ourselves that ultimately we ought to be the most unselfish people on the planet. We're born and we're destined to be part of God's plan for the nations. That's why Carol and I serve in the Northern Plains, because we're desperate to see churches release their young people again to ministry. We're desperate to see young people submit themselves to the call of God upon their lives and give all that they have and are. Carol and I did it over 50 years ago. We've circumnavigated the globe. We've lived on four continents, and we still have one single passion. It's that people would come to know Jesus, who's beautiful beyond description. As a young man teaching a missiology class. It was quite scary because I really didn't know anything about missiology, but I was still required to teach the class. So I would go to the books and I was about half a chapter ahead of the students in the literature. 
and I'd come rushing in and I'd teach. And if there was a hard question, I had a really good answer. I said, you know, that's a very good question. It's coming up in the next class. I didn't have lunch for a semester. I ran off to read up what was coming up in the next class so that I could look intelligent in front of all of our students. And somehow I survived, but got about halfway through the semester, maybe a little bit more, and I just felt, I can't keep this up. I really can't. I've got to come clean. So I remember there were about eight students in the class. It was a senior class. I walked in and I said, guys, I've done my best to share with you what's in the literature. We've gone through it all and we've spoken about it. And I said, what do you say that instead of us just reading through and trying to go through the literature, what about we do it? And uh, the reason I said that was that we were serving and living in an eastern part of South Africa at the time, and we'd got the news, it was coming to us all the time, about Mozambican refugees. You might know that Mozambique's just been hit by a devastating hurricane, but back then there was an awful, awful civil war raging in the nation. It was a brutal war, and thousands of people were dying in this horrible war just a few miles away from where we lived, and several of these people were seeking uh, shelter very close to where we were living, and so I'd heard where these camps were of refugees, and I said to the students, you know that we've just read in the missiological literature that displaced people, refugees, people who are moving into new urban environments, they're often more receptive to the gospel than established populations. I said, what do you say we go and find some of these people and share Jesus with them? Well, I think our students were only too happy to get out of the classroom. And so uh, they said, yeah, let's do it. So somebody had donated a beaten out old truck to us or van. And I drove up around to the front of the college, 7 a.m. the next morning, and about seven or eight of these students piled in the back. This was the best class they'd had all semester. We were going out and we we drove off down the tar road and then off onto the dirt road. And finally, we got to the end of that and we started to meander our way just through uh, low African scrub, red soil of Africa. And I'm looking for these camps. I don't know what I was looking for. I thought maybe United Nations and white tents all in a row. Couldn't see anything that looked anything like that. And I'll never forget the day, all of a sudden, down to my left-hand side, I saw a woman sitting with three young children. She had some sticks that she had pulled together and she had tied them with a torn open plastic shopping bag and that was her shelter. So I I thought maybe she's a refugee. I mean, how naive, how silly I was. I remember I turned the vehicle, we shot on down, all that huge cloud of red African dust came flying past the vehicle as I braked. She disappeared for a few moments into the dust and we all piled out of the vehicle. How intimidating it must have been. I walked over to her, I mean, I had read the missiological literature. I went over and I, I reached out my hand as graciously as I knew to shake her hand and I realized that though my hand was only six inches from her face, she didn't see me. And it didn't take me long to realize she was extraordinarily traumatized. So of course I backed off. And we stood there, it was awkward for a few moments. Looked around, a young man walked by, I said, excuse me, I said, do you speak this lady's language? He came over, greeted her, he said, I do. I said, is there any way you could ask her, just tell, tell us her story? And I'll never forget the next five minutes without any emotion, absolute monotone. This lady began to share how she lived in a village in Mozambique. The soldiers on one side would come from the north, go through her village, pillage, steal, rape. They marched her husband off to a war that he had no idea why he was fighting, left her with her children. And then a few weeks later, Soldiers from the south, from the other side, would come through, do the same thing. 
And after several months of that kind of trauma, she said, enough's enough. So she took her four children. She had heard that there was some safe space across the border in South Africa, and so she took these little ones and began to walk towards the setting sun. If you know the geography to get from Mozambique into South Africa, you go through a very large wilderness area called the Kruger National Park. She began to cross that wilderness, and on the second night, she pulled her children up around her under a spreading acacia tree. And in the very early hours of the morning, to her horror, she realized she was surrounded by a pack of hyenas. She held her children as tight as she could, no emotion, monotone voice. She told me how a large one lunged forward and grabbed the baby from off her breast and dragged her baby away. I'm listening to this. This isn't on TV. This isn't sanitized by some commentator's voice. This is the woman I'm looking at. She got up the next morning and finally with her three children arrived where she was. There was no big welcome committee. All she could do was pull some sticks together. I reached out and I took her hand. And I have to tell you, friends, I knew in that moment my life was wrecked. Could never be the same again. I can honestly tell you I'm serving in the northern plains because of that day. I wanted to give my life to mobilize men and women to serve Jesus passionately and compassionately and caringly. We said our farewells as inadequate as they were. I got into that van, I looked in the rearview mirror, and every student just had tears pouring down their cheeks. We didn't speak the whole way back. The next morning I pulled that vehicle up again, 7 a.m. This time we put picks and shovels into the back. And still with tears streaming down our cheeks, we dug that woman and her family a pit latrine, put a tarp around it to give her one of the most basic dignities that you can. That led to me challenging a Christian doctor to join our team. We started mobile clinic work. That grew into a nursing school. We were the first people to be positioned when the AIDS pandemic broke out. Started home-based AIDS care. Carol went into the villages to care for children. And through all the ministries that that spawned to this day, tens of thousands of children are cared for every day. And I could tell you a lot of stories. But of course it changed my life. And I know two things at this stage of my life as assuredly as I know anything. Number one, I love Jesus and his church. There is still no greater hope for mankind than the message of God's grace. What a beautiful, beautiful message we have. What an amazing vision, the called out ones, the ecclesia, the gathered, Christ-following community of faith-filled people. I believe in the church more than I ever have, and I believe in her Lord but I'll tell you the other thing. I believe as much in all nations hearing the good news as I ever have. And I commend to you those two words today. Based on the most primitive example of this beautiful body of Christ called the church, 
I ask you to be the church and worship your Lord. And I ask you, Riverside, to continue to be the center of the raising of Holy Ghost ministries to touch our world with the good news of Jesus. I thank you for my friends. I thank you, God, for the gathering of this church in this city at this time. I pray your word would run into our hearts. Help us to make decisions that will honor you and be of great benefit, first of all, to those of the household of faith, and then very much to those all nations people who need to hear the good news. Let your work amongst us today be rich and strong in Jesus' name. Thanks for having us, friends. Great privilege to share God's word with you today. Praise God. I thank God for the Church of Jesus Christ, and I thank God for Riverside Church. I thank God for a group of people who believed that right in the center of Peoria we could see something happen that um, would affect our community and see change brought to our community. It's not just the Dream Center, but it's you and I as we go back out from this place to be Jesus to a lost community, to share Jesus with a lost community. I look around this room and there are many people here today that I, I see have given themselves for the kingdom of God and to um, join together as the family of God to take this wonderful truth that Jesus is alive and that he changes lives. Others of you who have gone on mission trips right around the world and seen amazing things happen. People who have helped build 25 churches in the Amazon jungle and others who have gone to the Ukraine and seen a dream center built there and uh, a school in Africa and then missionaries around the world. It's because together we believe that we are the children of God, the family of God, and that we have this great commission that comes from God to take this out into the world and to get the news out into our community and wherever the Lord would lead us. It's been a great family of God and you are a great family of God. There are those who believe that Riverside's best days are in the past, but I want to tell you they're not, they're in the future. For God is with us, God is for us and God is doing mighty things and as we believe together and move together, God's going to do great things. I want to do something very unusual. I'm going to ask you all to come and join me at the front, all right? Everyone, get up and come right down to the front right now. You're feeling awkward about it? Forget your awkwardness. Just come right down to the front, okay? I want us to be together. We've heard a word about being together in the kingdom and how we appreciate one another and how we love one another and how we're together in this great work of God that's going on. That's right. Just, just come right down, squeeze right in. And uh, if you're in the balcony, come down. Just come down. It'd be great to have you down here. And, and we together are making a statement. Listen, when we get together like this and we say we are the people of God, we are the family of God, we are the church of Jesus Christ, 
We are making a statement not only to the world but to the kingdom of darkness. And we are saying we're not done, we're not finished, we have a great work to do. We're going to push back the darkness that the light of the gospel of Jesus might come into our city, into our community, into our country and into our world that we are still given for the gospel of Jesus Christ to go right around the world. Amen? Amen. Just tell the one next to you, I'm glad that you're a part of the family of God. Just tell them that right now. I'm glad you're part of the family of God. Give them a hug. Give someone a hug around you and say, I'm glad you're a part of the family of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's right. Just pile in. Come come right down. Do you know when the church of Jesus Christ comes together and when we stand together and when we unite together, I want to tell you, we make things tremble. Amen? You know, the songwriter it was Martin Smith wrote this song we're going to sing. Did you feel the mountains tremble? As the people came together, we're going to sing it. And we are coming together. Uh, you may feel a nobody and a nothing But I want to tell you, you are a child of God if you know Jesus as your Savior. And you are my sister and my brother. And I love you. And you've got a lot of people around you that love you as well. And together, we can push back darkness. Amen? Are you ready to sing this and believe it? And believe that we are the people of God. All right? Just turn to the one next to you and say, I don't care what your voice is like, you're going to have to put up with mine because I'm going to sing my heart out right now. All right, come on, let's sing this song as we draw to a close this morning.